0: From Relay FM, this is Upgrade, episode three hundred and forty six, and today's show is brought to you by Memberful, Pingdom, and PDF Pen from Smile. My name is Mike Hurley and I'm joined by Jason Snell. Hello, Jason Snell. Hello, Mike Hurley. How are you? I am very well, my friend. How are you? Fine and dandy. Fine and dandy. You are on secret assignment this week. <laughs> which I'll mention because otherwise people will ask why Jason sounds different, which happens every time.
1: I'm in a slightly different place with a slightly different microphone. There yes. you
0: go. I have a hashtag Snell Talk question for you from John. And John wants to know, Jason, did you ever have a conversation with
1: Steve Jobs? If so, was there anything specific that you took from this experience? Um, I talked to him once for on the phone as an interview for the 20th anniversary of the Mac. And what I took away from it is that Steve Jobs doesn't want to be interviewed. Okay. <laughs> Do you think was, that somebody was put him in that room? And, and he didn't want to be there. And he was on the phone with me for less than five minutes, I would say. And uh, yeah, it was we, we spent months trying to get Apple to agree to do an interview with Steve for the 20th anniversary. And um, we, were, we had to have all sorts of conditions about Steve doesn't want to look back. Steve doesn't want to talk about the past. Steve can't talk about the future. And we're like, well, what is left to talk about? And the answer was a very <laughs> short interview. We ran almost every word he said in the, on the interview in the magazine because he said so little. Wow. that we had to make the most of it. And I, when the conversation was over, I felt kind of like I'd been hit by a truck. It was like, what just happened? But uh, that was it. So yes, I got the, the distinct sense that he didn't want to be there. Somebody had talked him into it, maybe Katie Cotton, that it was worth doing. Um, and he wasn't interested in talking about the past and he wanted to get out of there as quickly as possible.
0: There's something kind of funny about like, Okay, Steve's going to join you for this interview, which is an anniversary celebration of the Mac, but he won't talk about anything that happened before
1: today. Yeah, that was <laughs> it's very difficult to have a conversation yeah. about the 20th anniversary of the Mac when one of the uh, ground rules is don't talk about the past. There's some kind of Fight Club uh joke reference to be made in there, right? I think he when they were wearing him down to do it, he said, okay, I'll do it, but I don't want to talk about the past. And they're like, all right, great. He said he'd do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's the win they were looking for, really. And, then and then I, now I, I it's your problem, Jason. It. Yeah. It's not mm-hmm. their problem anymore. You yeah, have to come so up with the conversation. I, I found that that was a, a, the whole thing was an unpleasant experience. Uh, he didn't want to be there. I kind of didn't want to be there either. We made the best of it. Uh, it was brief. And then uh, and that was it. And then beyond that, uh, my only interactions with him was I asked a couple of questions at, at, back when they did press conferences at media events, which did happen mm-hmm. occasionally. Um, but, uh, those are not quite the same, right? Just shouting. This up. was
0: a direct one-on-one Jason Yeah, it was. situation.
1: It was. I mean, obviously it was being monitored by all of his, sure. his minders who, you know, who called afterward, right? Like they were clearly listening to the whole thing, but, um, but yeah, it was, mm, I, I wouldn't say it was my finest hour. Um, but he was also a pretty tough, uh, person to talk to and didn't want to be talking to me. So, yeah.
0: We're going to be talking about a Tim Cook interview later on in the episode. Have you ever spoken to Tim?
1: I have not spoken to Tim. I think at all. I have been near him in, in the hands-on area after, but there's a, you, here's a funny thing about, um, these events. Hopefully they'll come back at some point in some form. um, you're out there in the hands-on area, and there's a lot of people, right? There's a lot of people in the Steve Jobs Theater, let's say, and then there's a lot of people in the hands-on area, uh, which is sort of the lobby to the Steve Jobs Theater, and you're you you sense a certain amount of. Uh, hubbub around you because there's so many people but then there's like it's like a wave kind of swelling suddenly you you just sort of sense that there's more and like Mm -hmm. there were a lot of people around you but now there's a lot lot and the sounds change and everything's just a little bit more intense and that's when you turn and realize oh tim cook's right there because there's a bubble of People taking pictures and people wanting to talk to Tim, and Tim interacting with people. And he's sort of holding court a little bit, moving from station to station, um, usually with a member of like a a high visibility media kind of in tow. But um, it's sort of Tim's appearance. And uh, I've gotten caught up in that a couple of times just accidentally because I'm just trying to, you know hold the phone and see what it's like and then it suddenly hubbub happens around me and oh there's Tim over there and if you're really lucky um you'll occasionally get in the photos of the event the next day in on wire services and stuff like Jeff Carlson the writer and photographer um he was in he was just happened to be next to Tim when every like major organization shot their best pictures from that event and so Jeff was in he was photo bombing Tim Cook for uh for the next days uh newspaper coverage and and you know websites and stuff like that. So uh but no, I I haven't had any direct interactions with him. I imagine they'd be pleasant because he seems like a pleasant fellow. And we'd um I probably try to work college football into the conversation because I know he likes it. And I like it too.
0: You know saying about the um getting in the images thing. That that was what happened with the connected artwork when um we when connected was featured in the apple watch presentation at wwdc a few years ago and that was the getty image was tim standing in front of the connected artwork so it was on all the newspapers and stuff were picking up that one image of him and right. So that, that was really cool because then not only did we have our artwork behind Tim, it was then on the front of the newspapers uh, or whatever, you know, like in the newspapers. Uh, the next yeah, that day was, that was next
1: next level, right? It's like yeah. not only could you take a screenshot of your artwork on the, on the live stream, but it turns out that um, they had taken a bunch of photos of Tim on stage with it in the background. That's just yep. like extra bonus. It's great. I bought the Getty image.
0: And made I'm a fresh sure, out of it. Yes. <laughs> so I got it on my wall. Yes. <laughs> so no, I was very thankful for it. If you would like to send in a Snow Talk question to help us open the show, just send in a tweet with the hashtag Snow Talk or use question mark Snow Talk in the Relay FM members Discord. We spoke about it last week and it happened, I think, the next day. WWDC has been announced. Uh, it's going to be June 7 to 11, all online format. Yep,
1: we made it happen. We did it, Mike. We did it, you and me. We made it happen. Everybody can thank us. Somebody did on Twitter speculate that somebody at Apple was listening to Upgrade, and they're like, oh, did we not? (laughs) (laughs) So what do you think? I mean, this is obviously what we
0: expected. Uh, I'm happy that it's earlier in the month again rather than later in the month, because that would suggest, hopefully, that we will have a more normal uh, time period um for the beta, so basically the full three months rather than the compressed pretty much two and a bit months that we get right
1: it's the for me the traditional last week of school uh inconvenient time of WWE The less a little less of a problem this year but um uh i think it's uh i show it shows something right that this is their preferred time and pace for the summer and for releases and things like that, which is good.
0: And, you know, they they touted how great last year was because so many people could quote unquote attend and that they're going to keep doing more this year to expand that. We don't have particular details yet, um, but it seems like that they might be looking at doing something else. So do you have any particular thoughts on that at all? Like it's kind of what we expected. Um, there's not really much else to it, right?
1: Yeah. No, I think we covered it last week. It's pretty much what we expected. I, I'm I as as coverage goes, like doing my job goes, I find this format vastly superior to being in person, only because I can sit at my desk instead of either staying in a hotel or an Airbnb and uh, you know working from unforeseen circumstances or you know driving more than an hour to San Jose. Mm -hmm. Um, And I can sit there and with all the videos that are posted, uh, I can watch those videos kind of at my leisure and in my living room or at my desk and I can take notes and I can write articles about them and it's great. Um, Obviously what you entirely lose is the personal side of it, which is why I I did go and why I find that incredibly valuable. There's the social aspect of seeing all sorts of people who are interesting and you never get a chance to see. So I miss that. But, um, i'm excited about the event because this is the this is the official start of the next calendar year essentially or not calendar year the apple calendar yeah Uh, it's the start of the apple year because it sets the um positioning for what the os's are going to be and everything kind of follows from that and the iphone follows from that and and then we go through the year so it's always very exciting we learn a lot that really is giving a sense of what the next year plus is going to bring from apple um and uh, it's, I, I expect it will be, at least for us, for observers, it might be different if you're a developer, but for observers, I expect it will be very much like it was um, with with last year's, which was great. And we have a year's
0: experience of this type of WWDC now, which I'm yes. thankful for and will be planning better uh, my approach for this year. According to Mark Gurman in a newsletter that he wrote for Bloomberg, Apple is planning to announce an event for its mixed reality headset product within the next few months, but they're currently holding out to have an in-person event with members of the media. This is what I expected, right? Not, I mean, I, I think I've said this on the show before, not at WWDC and to have a separate event because it feels big.
1: Um, The in-person part, I think, makes a lot of sense, right? Like, why they would want that? Well, right. This is... Why do you do in-person media events? And the answer is not because that's the only... Because you want an audience for for a video live stream, right? Like, that's not the answer. The answer is you want people in influential places to get their hands on or in this case, maybe their heads on on. uh, whatever the product is, Mm -hmm. right? Like you want, and I, that's the thing that I missed the most from like the iPhone event last year is that I didn't get a chance to hold the iPhones in my hand. And so then it's like, well, what are the iPhones? Like, it's like, I don't know. I know everybody knows as much as I do because we all just saw a video and that's all we know. Um, So having people there, to have that experience is uh is is good it's helpful and could they roll something like this out the problem is if it's a pre-announce and it's going to be months before it ships then you can't do the trick that they've done with a lot of products which is put it under embargo and mail it to people's houses right you get the Mm -hmm. fedex box don't open this it's there's an imac inside right you can't do that if it's pre-release hardware in a tightly controlled environment, right? Yep. You you really, they're not going to let a prototype product put it in a FedEx box and ship it off and hope everything goes well. Right? It's not going like, to happen. You know, Can't we've
0: seen it. it in the past. I think it was, it, I think if I'm remembering rightly, it might have been the original Apple Watch demo. You can maybe tell me about this. Like, in the hands-on uh, you weren't allowed to touch it but people were That's showing right. you basically
1: a demo right. loop which was sure App- all that could be done <laughs> there, there were watches that were running the demo loop there might have been a watch that was not running the demo loop but it was again on the ar- the arm of an apple employee and you could look but you could not touch like, they were as showing a person, you I tried what it to could touch do. I tried mm-hmm. to touch the apple watch and they're like no no you're going to get me in trouble nobody touches the Apple Watch. <laughs> get out of so, here. <laughs> so that's the rationale. I, so listening to Mark Erman talk about this, I think it makes sense. I think they could do it. Obviously, they could do, do whatever they wanted, but I, I get the desire to have people actually try it mm-hmm. and that that kind of needs to be in person, whether it's the event or whether it's in like a briefing kind of thing. It does require yeah. some personal contact, which would be something that they haven't done in, the, in more than a year. Um, If they do it as an event, my guess is that it's going to be a low invitation, um, probably U.S. only, maybe even California only, with a briefing in New York for people on the East Coast, Mm -hmm. and probably requiring proof of vaccination. Yes, or at the very least, uh, a and negative a test. COVID test. But yeah. probably, uh, which you know, I think if you're talking about summer, late summer, in the U.S., everybody who wants to be vaccinated should be vaccinated by late summer. Mm-hmm. In fact, it's sooner than that by early summer so uh it's not unreasonable at all to think that they could actually pull this off, and it, yep. it sounds i think it's it's perfectly reasonable to see that Apple is grappling with like one an event that really needs it in a way that some of their other events don't, and two figuring out that in the you know at some point we got to come back to doing some personal interaction, and we we may be able to do that this summer because hopefully virus level will go down and people will be immunized and it won't be a problem so i i think it's interesting to hear the rumblings that they're kind of struggling with this i think they could definitely make it work um uh, but there are a lot more challenges also let's not forget that you're if this is something you're putting on your face then like they're gonna have to sanitize it and <laughs> right? like not, you're not gonna have like 50 different people rubbing a thing on their face <laughs> it's just you can't do that so uh there's some challenges there but. Um, but it makes sense that they would want to do it this way. Um, I, I'd be game for it. I'm I'm up for it. This just feels
0: like a product that needs, if you want press to talk about it afterwards, which they obviously do, it needs a demo, right? They can do a video. Like I thought potentially what we could see is, uh, bare minimum, they do a video presentation like we've seen, and then as soon as the video presentation is over, an embargo lists on people that have had private, um demos over the week prior to right.
1: Right. But that and that's sort of what I was saying is you can yeah. do it that way, but you're mm-hmm. still doing in person demos. Yes. Right. Like you, you can don't you don't need a live event. But they're much more controlled and, and stuff like that. Right. But you need you need people to do that. And and so yes, they could do it that way. They could have people in New York and maybe people in, in Cupertino and uh, do some briefings that way and then have it be under embargo. Yep. Although again brand new product never been seen before, seems unlikely that they would have things under embargo in advance of it. Right? They, I mean, they'd instead unlikely, want to do but, their own thing. You know,
0: Well, worst comes to less.
1: Yeah, I have a hard time believing that they would show people a product that they had not announced that was a major new product under mm-hmm. embargo because that is, there's too much risk of all the details leaking in a way. That uh, you know, if they keep it, this stuff will leak. But like, that's not been their pattern at all. So I think it's less likely they'd do that.
0: But this is definitely adding to my consideration that WWDC wouldn't be the time for anything like this because I don't think they can show off anything software-wise without showing the hardware. Like tip in their hand there, and this really feels like something that if they feel like they've got something which is, which is good and better than what currently exists. They need to have press and people in the media, YouTubers, talking about this product like it's special, right? Um, Tim Cook's not going to say, you know, this thing's this thing's kind of good. It's a little bit better than the Oculus, right? <laughs> He's not going to say that. So what you want to hear is people like you, people like MKBHD, you know, people like Nilay Patel saying like, all right, we had a chance to try this thing. And it's next level for these reasons, right? Like that's that's what you want. And I almost feel like it's worth just delaying the product and its announcement until you can get that. Because I think that's what it's going to need to really land with people. That's the decision I would make anyway, if they were asking me.
1: Well, they need developer support for it, which means they, they ideally, like with the Apple Watch, they really need a run up for it. and yep. And that makes me interested in the developer conference as uh, a tie-in, but the fact is, Apple has said repeatedly that AR is a focus. Mm-hmm. There's AR in their devices, in the iPhone and the iPad. They, At this point, Apple could go in their videos at in, in, uh, the developer conference and say, uh, we got a whole bunch of great AR things to show you, and talk about them, And everything would be in the context of the iPhone and the iPad, but we'd all know what they really mean. Mm -hmm. And that, so it wouldn't preclude them. No, they could talk about evangelizing developers at the developer conference. Which they've been doing for years anyway, though, right? Like, right. Yeah. Without announcing the product, knowing that they're going to announce it a month or two later. At which point developers know more about what's going on, and they've still got time to develop apps for it. I, I I think they can they can finesse it. They can they can make this work. This episode of Upgrade is brought to you by our friends at Memberful. Memberful allows
0: you to build and diversify sustainable recurring revenue. It is the easiest way to sell memberships to your audience, used by the biggest creators on the web. Maybe your business's financial situation has changed over the past couple of years. Maybe now you want a proven solution that's quick to launch so you can stabilize your business and grow. Memberful handles the hard stuff so you can focus on what you do best while earning revenue quickly and comfortably it has everything you need to run a membership program of your own including an optimized checkout apple pay easy member management dashboard analytics free trials gift subscriptions and so much more a memberful seamlessly integrates with the tools that you already use including lots of fully managed integrations with the most popular services like wordpress mailchimp discord and loads more. They also have an API as well. And I mean and I know this because Memberful is what powers the Relay FM membership program. We've worked with Memberful for like 5 years, but then last year we changed a lot of our membership program. We started adding more content and specific membership shows. And we were only able to do that because of the integrations that we could use with Memberful. And the Relay FM members Discord, that's also powered by Memberful as well. And it's fantastic because it's a direct integration. So when someone becomes a member, they can sign up for the Discord. If their membership stops, then they're removed from the Discord. We don't have to do anything. Memberful's API and their integrations do it for us. And really it was, we started to to look at changing our membership program because things seemed really uncertain last year. And I mean, still have some element of uncertainty to them, right? Like things haven't returned to normal. And having the membership program there for us has been fantastic. And that really is because of Member4. Um, and so they're a fantastic company. We we love working with them. You can get started for free for yourself right now at memberful.com. There's no credit card required. That's Memberful, M-E-M-B-E-R-F-U-L.com. Go there and check it out and see what it could do for your business. Our thanks to Memberful for their support of this show and Relay FM. We spoke about this change a while ago, which is John Turnus becoming uh, SVP of Hardware Engineering. John is now listed on Apple's leadership page, which it's nice for John. Uh, so sure. Congratulations. congratulations to him. He may have had a hand, well, we know he will have a hand in the next IMAX. There was a report from the, quote, credible leaker. This is from Mac Rumors. Uh, Mac Rumors was reporting the, quote, credible leaker with the Twitter account, love to dream which is an account that I see pop up every now and then. It does seem to have a good track record. I trust Mac Rumors to keep track of the track records more than me uh they have suggested that the next iMac will quote have a screen that is really big bigger than the biggest one so the pro display xdr goes to 32 inches it's huge could you imagine the iMac being pushed to that kind of level
1: well, first off, I will say one of the brilliant things about being a credible leaker on Twitter is that there's no narrative and there's no context placed around anything that they have to say, which mm-hmm. is why it they're not Mark Herman. Uh Because all, all Love to Dream has to say is one fact, which is, oh, yeah, bigger than the current IMAX. And yeah. they're gone. And like <laughs> we don't need it. any anything. But the fact is there's been a rumor that they were going to make... The 27 inch iMac into a 30 inch iMac and the 21 and a half inch iMac into a 24 inch I- iMac. That's been out there for like more than a year now. So I just look at this and say, uh, yeah, that's what that is. That's what this person is talking about. I think the Pro Display XDR is enormous and it's probably unlikely that it's quite that big. Mm-hmm. But um, larger than 27, keeping in mind too that I think that these iMacs are going to have way smaller frames around them way smaller bezels and as a result I mean, they're not going to so. seem as huge i mean geez, if they keep these bezels and make the screen bigger <laughs> they're going to do the ipad pro thing or, yeah. or the, i mean they're gonna they're gonna shrink the bezels and then make and make the screen ba- bigger and hopefully this the actual device will not seem that much bigger but it'll just be all screen mm-hmm. so that's I, I think that this is just in line with that theory um, but that theory is that the twenty-one and a half is going to become a twenty-four, and the twenty-seven is going to become a thirty. And um, that sounds sounds great. Um, I honestly I feel like the screen on my iMac Pro is almost too big. Like I like a twenty-seven inch screen and all, but like the stuff that's out at the periphery, you could just forget that it's out there. I hear people with a Pro Display XDR talk about it, and it's the same story, right? Which is you put stuff kind of off on the side, and it's like. It's like you're you're consulting. It's like you're pulling out something out of a filing cabinet or something. It's like it's way over there. Like it's it's oh that window. That window's off to the right. I haven't seen that window in years. Right? Like yeah. I don't. I. That's not ideal for most uh, ways that I work. I I like to work in the center of the screen, and I find that even on the twenty seven inch iMac, stuff that's parked on the left side of the screen or the right side of the screen is kind of awkward. Um, so, but some people love it and, you know, there there will still be choice, it seems like, between a, a super big iMac and a, and a smaller iMac. And that sounds good to me.
0: I have a 32-inch monitor at the studio. It's an LG one that I really like.
1: And it is massive, but I do love it. Mm, see? And I just like the idea of having a the big iMac get bigger. Um, that they have the freedom to do that by making mm-hmm. um, the the space around it go away. Um, and there's also a question of like what the screen looks like and what the shape of the iMac is, right? Because right the the iMac right now is taller than its display ratio because it's mm. got the big chin at the bottom. And so there's a question there too. Like if you eliminate more of that chin, your diagonal is going to get larger. Even if it's not much wider. So uh, I guess we'll see, right? But like I, I feel like this uh, this report is in line with what we've already heard. Other than the sequencing of it, which is everybody sort of assumed that the smaller iMac's going to hit first and be with a lower end chip, and then later in the year they're going to do the high end iMac, and that'll be big and it'll have a new, uh, previously not seen Apple silicon chip in it, and that's those are some assumptions made on some reports and saying that you know the next iMac screen is really big. Like, is this person uh, thinking about these iMacs both being released? now or is this person you know thinking about just the next big iMac which is you know maybe sequenced after the smaller iMac that part i don't know but otherwise it seems like this is just sort of coloring in some of the margins of what we already knew
0: if the big one went to like 30 32 something like that do you think you would consider the smaller one provided you could spec it the way
1: you would want well, if we assume that the smaller one gets bigger and the smaller one's a 24-inch, mm-hmm. I would consider it. Right. I would. Um that said, coming from an iMac Pro, if they come out with a 24-inch iMac that's running on an M1, I we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, I would be inclined to wait at that point, right? Thinking I could get an M1, but the 8-core iMac Pro is as faster faster than the M1. The M1 is very impressive, but this is a, you know, what was a $5,000 computer, pro computer. I I'll wait on that one, but if they can get me an iMac that is, um, that is faster than the M ones, it will be appreciably faster than my iMac pro. And then I'll, I'll consider it. So if all other things being equal, I, there was a 30 inch iMac and a 24 inch iMac, Would I consider the 24 inch iMac. I would, I would like if I could get it with the power of the 30 inch iMac, um, I'd like to see them, right? And mm-hmm. I fear that I I am even though I complained about the 27-inch screen being big that I would feel cramped in a in a smaller screen at this point because isn't that how that yeah. works? Once you have a bigger screen, you can never have a smaller screen again. You just so, expand to the space that you're right. given.
0: Yeah. Which I think is a similar thing for why people that I know that have the Pro Display XDR, their complaints about how big it is don't last for very long. And then they just get used to the size, right. and then that's the size of their monitor, you know. You, you then going back to smaller would be will want them.
1: I I would seriously consider it though because mm. I I do have a feeling like my iMac is a little bit that screen is a little bit too much for me. Most cases, not always. If I'm doing like live streaming video or something like that, suddenly it's not big it. enough. But yeah. Yeah. most <laughs> cases, it's not. Yeah. Then it's like exponential. How many more monitors can I? <laughs> well, I want to. Oh, I mean, to this when thing? I do live streaming of D and have to put it in um, more space mode, <laughs> mm-hmm. where everything gets smaller. Because <laughs> I don't. Would you consider sidecar
0: for something like that? You know, like no. throwing
1: some windows off onto the iPad. No. You don't use that. No, no. Uh, if I wanted to do that, I mean, in most cases, I would just put the. I will do that. Actually, when I'm doing the D and D stuff, I'll have my iPad there. But I just have my iPad doing iPad stuff. I don't need right. to do Mac stuff. That makes sense. Last week, uh,
0: beta six of iOS fourteen point five came out. Yes, it's still still swimming around there in beta. Still this is going. basically at this point, it's almost like fourteen point six because it just keeps adding more and more stuff. I, I think 14.5 was supposed to come out a while ago.
1: Yeah, it's obviously picked to a hardware release that it, that hasn't happened yet. And so they just are are continuing to spin. It just keeps... It's like
0: um a snowball kind of thing. And it's just the further it's going along, it's just picking up more things. Well, like a katam, katam, Katamari. Anyway, um, it, so in the most recent beta, uh, Apple announced that a selection of new Siri voices in various English-speaking regions would be added and also i think in all regions they have removed the default that like siri having a default voice so in america it was traditionally the female voice in the uk it was the british voice in different um the different man- areas, yeah, british male voice british it male a, it's voice, a british butler yep. in Sorry. the uk yes yep. the british male voice so in different regions they've had a default siri voice which my understanding was it was because it was That that time, the best that they had in kind of the way that the voices sounded. So they just defaulted to whichever one was best for them. And now they have done two things. So they're adding more voices and they're more realistic. I've heard some samples of them and they do sound really, really good. But I think the bigger news, though, is that they have decided to remove the defaults and they've also removed the naming. So now all of the voices have just numbers by the names rather than male and female or or gendering them in any way, which I just think it just makes more sense and it just lets people choose whichever Siri voice they want and that's what you do on setup. You just choose which Siri voice you want. So I think this is a better way of doing it.
1: Hi, Hi, I'm Siri. Choose the voice you'd like me to use. Hi, I'm Siri. Choose the voice you'd like me to use. Hi,
0: I'm Siri. Choose the voice you'd like me to use. Hi, I'm Siri. Choose the voice you'd like me to use. The second one and the fourth one sounded like the new ones to me.
1: Uh the second and third. Oh, okay. I went four, three. That was four, three, two, one that I played there. Okay. And two and three are are new. And they do sound more realistic,
0: which yeah. I think is good. I, I'm not sure how I feel if I want it to be more realistic. But the biggest story here is re- is removing the defaults. I think.
1: Yeah, I think so. Um, or and having people pick. Um you've got more choices which one sort of speaks to you more uh it's fun you know i, I i've had a a british butler on my uh, homepod for a while now so mm-hmm. but this is it's uh, it's nice to be able to choose i have a couple
0: of upstream pieces of news for you Jason uh one which is Jason Sudeikis won another award for Ted Lasso last night yes uh, outstanding performance by a male actor in a comedy series at the screen actors guild awards yes they well. uh, lost
1: the they lost the ensemble award, which is the big one, um, to Schitt's Creek, which is not surprising because mm-hmm. that everybody expected that. But he won the uh, the male actor award, and there's also a very nice video that they posted um, that was sort of like made for the SAG Awards with the team in the locker room that was obviously shot as they're shooting season two. Um, that's got some very funny, uh, bits in it about the other, there's like the, we're facing tough competition here and they put up all the other nominees and there's a, uh, there's a a very funny joke at Jason Sudeikis's expense Hmm. because he, uh, was at the Golden Globes and he had a hoodie? Yeah. And so in the video that they posted, um, Jamie Tart walks in wearing a hoodie And it's like the same hoodie as Jason Sudeikis. It's probably literally the same hoodie. Uh, And somebody says, who wears a hoodie to an awards show? If you know the reference, it's really funny.
0: (laughs) All right. I haven't seen that. I'm going to have to watch that. That looks really good. I think I found it. It's on the Apple TV Twitter account, right? It is. I'll put that in the show notes too. And this one, I just was excited about it. Netflix have paid $450 million for the rights to Knives Out 2 and 3. Ryan yeah. Johnson will direct, and Daniel Craig is reprising the role of Benoit Blanc. Benoit Blanc. So they're try- they're, setting a, they're trying to get another franchise going. Franchise.
1: We, we have said repeatedly one of the challenges Netflix has is it's got to build franchises. It doesn't have going for it what some of the other services do mm-hmm. with owning existing franchises. And so here's an interesting example. Because
0: they're doing that other spy one, right, with Ryan Gosling. Oh,
1: the one that they want to be there, James Bond? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you can see they're doing, it, and it's funny because they're doing this as movies and not a series, but mm-hmm. uh, "Knives Out was great, and the idea of telling more mystery stories. I feel like um, Ryan Johnson doing more stories with Daniel Craig is great.: uh, yep. I feel like there's even more, though, to Knives Out. They could do more. They could They could tell some other mystery stories. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of want this to turn into not, not with Daniel Craig because he's a big movie star, but like, I would like to see the Columbo version of Knives Out," where yep. they, they do six of them a year. Ninety minutes long with some other actor, perhaps from you know one of the cops from Knives Out, or perhaps it's somebody who worked with Benoit Blanc, uh, and just tell these kind of mysteries because they're so fun. Knives Out was so much fun, and they don't they don't um, make them like this anymore. And they're actually, um, I think, I would like to see them. So uh, this is cool. That's like
0: one it. of my favorite movies I've seen in years. And. I was just, I'm just super happy that they're doing more of them because it was one of those things where I was like, oh, this was so successful. How could they do more? Like I wasn't sure what they would do, but this just makes a lot of sense, right? We just follow Benoit Blanc to his next crime to yeah. solve, right? Like it's, it's kind of yeah. Nothing.
1: When he's a, he's a kind of like a reluctant uh, participant in mm-hmm. Knives Out, which I kind of like the idea that you know that that's a classic mystery thing, right? Where it's like the detective who comes is like, ah. Oh. I don't want to be here. This is accidental. It's like, oh, all right, I, I guess I'll, I'll figure it out. And the cops are like, oh no, this is our job. And it's like, yeah, well, yeah, but I'm, I'm the one who's going to figure this out. I love it. And I you know I would also like to see, um,
0: because there is an element of like very gentle spoilers for Knives Out. There's like elements to the the movie where we don't actually really see his dire like detective prowess because things just happen luckily for him in a way. And I would like to see a movie where we see more deduction from him, you know, because he does uh, a lot
1: of, uh, in the first movie, um, applying pressure like that. That's the thing I appreciate about that is that it's almost like a, a martial arts kind of approach where he, he doesn't need to barrel in there. He just needs to apply some judicious pressure in a few places and everything starts to fall apart, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which gives him his answer. Yeah. Yeah, I think I would stuff. also like to see a movie, like maybe
0: in, in this, these movies where we don't know the answer because we're shown the answer, right? Like that's part right. of the movie. Like very early on, we know what happened and I would like to also have one of these movies where it's not the case. So we'll see. Okay. But I'm excited. But those, are, excited.
1: those are two different kinds. Columbo always showed mm-hmm. the crime. Knives out. It takes you a while to figure out what actually happened. Mm-hmm. Um, um, there's the you know, it's different kinds, but you know, love a good mystery. Doesn't they don't all have to be just like on PBS mm-hmm. from the BBC?
0: They can, especially when they're this good, right? Yeah, like worth it. Out of nowhere, Apple expands Apple Arcade. They're bringing thirty new. Ga- they have brought thirty new games to the platform, with some more on the way. This now brings the total of games available on Apple Arcade to over one hundred and eighty, and they are now categorizing Apple Arcade games into one of three kind of buckets. We have Apple Arcade Originals, Timeless Classics, and App Store Greats. So they brought in some new games, like some original games, the stuff like the stuff we've seen in the past where they're working with companies, they produce a game for Apple Arcade. But they've, the thing that has really excited me and caught my eye the most with this announcement is that they have added a selection of successful and critically acclaimed iOS games from the past to the service. So, for example, Mini Metro, Fruit Ninja, Flip Flop Solitaire, Monument Valley, and Threes, just to name right. a selection. I mean, this selection is like five of the very best iOS games ever made. And like there's what? more there as
1: well. All all of Zach uh, Gage's games are there, right? Yep. I think Spelltow is there now, too. And he's the uh, best. I'm really bad chess. And guess. all of those games are there. Mm-hmm. Um, this is such a great idea. I, I, I feel like Apple has recalibrated what it wants Apple Arcade to be. Mm-hmm. I also feel a little bit like Apple Arcade as a standalone service versus Apple Arcade is also being part of a bundle allows Apple to kind of reconsider what they want in terms of making Apple Arcade feel um, worth it, right? Because yeah. you're not necessarily selling a $5 a month uh, Apple Arcade subscription, you're you're just accruing value to the bundle. <laughs> mm-hmm. And and that might might be a little bit different. And the idea of taking apps that have maybe out lived, not their usefulness, because these are games, right? It's, it's outlived their novelty and their revenue generation in the App Store. And in some cases, it's apps that are maybe doing fine in the App Store, but have sort of had their day. And there are other apps that are, are, are like gone or are, have no reason to be updated for the App Store um, and giving them a, a new life. As a, it's almost Apple's version of you know what uh, the console makers do, where they kind of have uh, classic games from previous consoles. Yeah. Um. I, I would like to see more of this. I would really like to see Apple give a bunch of classic App Store games from history that have kind of faded away. Um. Give those developers a reason to put work into them to make them work on modern devices, and that's they're going to be in Apple Arcade. Whether they that's because they're going to get money from Apple Arcade for use or whether apple just writes them a check and says update it here's your money (laughs) put it in the store uh but it's a there's some work to do they've got these um the ones that are already in the store are like doing these like plus versions that are essentially the same app except on apple arcade Mm -hmm. it feels very much like that has to go away at some point Uh, it makes much more sense if an app is available on apple arcade and uh, in the App Store at large that you would have an interface that says something like, you know, 4.99 or free on Apple Arcade. Or if you're an Apple Arcade user, it would just yeah. say, you get this for free with Apple Arcade instead of having two versions of Mini Metro, And it's right, like which is plus what happens. Put Mini Metro Plus, sign. which as far yeah. as I can tell is not actually any different from Mini Metro. Some no. of them might be different in that they've got in app purchase turned off, but for the most part, it's just the same thing with a different app ID. And that's a little bit silly. They need to, They need to clean that up. They need to work that out. This feels very much like a driven by the product manager
0: type thing where they haven't necessarily gotten resource to do it differently. And what I mean is like, you know, the Apple Arcade team have had this idea
1: and they are now working within the confines of the store. If you're in management, they're like, we got this idea, Um, but to get this and we've talked to the app store. And to get them to change this, it's gonna be iOS fifteen. Right. It's just mm-hmm. we're not we're not gonna get this now. And the manager's like, let's just do it. Mm -hmm. call it put a plus on it (laughs) get it out there right and i think that's the right call like get it out there get it out there now don't wait around for the engineering on it but i would prioritize that i would say that's that's on our wish list we would really like to have the ability to have a game that lives in apple arcade and in the app store with different behavior for both of them we would like that to exist and it gets on the priority list for whoever's working on the app store but um but yeah, I I I actually kind of like the idea that it's the people who care about Apple Arcade who are finding a way to work within the system to make what they want happen in terms of the content in their service. That's good.
0: To save the follow up, you know, you mentioned about bringing back old games. There is this co- a company and service called Game Club, which is a subscription service. Um, I think it's run by one of the people who used to work at Touch Arcade or founded Touch Arcade, where effectively they say, hey, developers that don't want to continue updating your games anymore, let us do it for you and you will get money for the subscription. So oh. like games that aren't on app stores anymore like because they haven't been updated for new screen resolutions and stuff. Game Club's whole thing is they will do that for you and it's a part of the service, which is interesting, but... Uh, I also want to see Apple doing it this way because I just think this is really great. I think what we're seeing here, well, what we are clearly seeing from Apple is a change in strategy because platform exclusivity was one of the requirements of Apple Arcade. Like you could not make your well, like mobile platform uh, exclusivity. You could not right. make your game available for Android, and you also right. couldn't make it available for any of the subscription service. So you mm-hmm. could go to Nintendo Switch, or you could go to Xbox, but you couldn't be an Xbox Game Pass. Now... They still have the classification of arcade originals, which I assume is this, and maybe you get a bit more money, right, as part of the deal. But some of these classics and greats, games like Threes and Monument Valley, they're on lots of other platforms. right? So there's clearly been a change here, which I will remind everyone, back in June of last year, there was a Bloomberg article that was talking about cancelled contracts and Apple shifting focus on Apple Arcade. And I'll give you a little quote from the article. This is the one that this is the quote that everyone really focused on for when the couple of weeks we were talking about this. An Apple Arcade creative producer told some developers that their upcoming games didn't have the level of engagement Apple is seeking. Apple is increasingly interested in titles that will keep users hooked. So subscribers stay beyond the free trial of the service, according to the people. Now, when this report came around the first time, it didn't sit right with me. Because it just didn't feel like that was what Apple would be wanting to do with the service, and it maybe felt like this was the experience felt by some people who had their games canceled because I just didn't buy that Apple wanted to have these like high engagement games it's like they weren't looking for new candy crushes for apple arcade it just didn't make sense to me right and it kind of felt like that maybe some people got their games canceled for some reasons but the idea that they were going to change apple arcade to be basically in-app purchase games about the in-app purchases that just didn't seem right and i think this has shown it i think that back in june they did change what they wanted to do and they wanted to do more stuff like this and that there were some games that didn't make the strategy change
1: Right, use some of their budget that they were going to make on originals to instead fund some of these other streams and get them up and running. I think it's also weird that they, that producer complained that uh, it was just expensive NBC. Strange. Mm-hmm. That's a reference. Yeah. Anyway, but it's uh, the same kind the of thing, of right? Who is complaining? Yeah.
0: Because mm-hmm. yep. again, this is what we spoke about. We continue to talk about like where is the where is the report where is the rumor coming from? If it's coming from someone who's upset, it might be a little <laughs> harsher. So you know? Look,
1: look at what our initial response to Apple Arcade was, which is it's going to all be about the exclusive games, mm-hmm. right? Like that's, they're going to live or die based on the exclusive games. And Apple probably had some struggles where they have some successes and some failures. And somebody inside Apple Arcade says, you know, what maybe what Apple Arcade should be is a bunch of things, exclusive games, classic games that you don't have to pay for uh, that we're you know that we're bringing back and the best of the App Store that you just don't have to pay for and you uh, right uh, that, cuz that's mm-hmm. essentially what they're doing is they're saying we're going to pick games out of the App Store and give them to you for free and now Apple Arcade is not just a subscription service for exclusive games now it's a curated game service where you pay once and you get exclusives and you get classics that have been brought back just for you and you get the best I mean I'm using the marketing language here but this is how they would say it. And then you get some of the best stuff that's in the App Store without having to pay for it. That's more compelling as yep. a product. It's that's a better product. And you know, people some people might not like it and some people might find it less compelling, but I think it it, it re- speaks to a broader audience and it also I would say, personally, as somebody who plays games in Apple Arcade and buys games on the App Store, eliminates maybe some of the dissonance that people feel with games that, like, I'm paying for Apple Arcade, but I'm playing games that I bought on the App Store. And it's like, well, why am I paying for Apple Arcade if I'm playing good Sudoku all the time? Well, good Sudoku is now in Apple Arcade. And, and I mean, I already paid for it, so it's too late. But, um, but you get that for free. And I, what I will watch is I wonder what Apple's going to do in terms of approaching people to make these plus versions for Apple Arcade. Because it could get really... I don't, I don't think they're going to do this, but it could get really interesting where Apple approaches almost everybody who's high profile, who's putting games into the app store, who has a business model that's a little more maybe a little more independent minded mm-hmm. and said, and, and say to them up front, well, you know, we're not going to, we didn't pay for you to develop this for Apple arcade, but we will pay you to put it in our Apple arcade for free for our subscribers. And we'll kick back this amount of money to you and you can still sell it in the app store. I wonder if they'll do that or experiment with that a little bit because that does give them the option. Like it's not, it's not all games on the app store are free, but it, they could start, depending on, again, how the App Store backend is structured and all of those things. And right now, it, it's, they have to make a duplicate version of the app. And so this might take time. But you could see a scenario where all sorts of games go on the App Store. And if you've got Apple Arcade, they're just free yep. because you've got Apple Arcade.
0: Which I love that as a strategy. I think it makes more sense. And I am very encouraged by the fact that they have done this. I think this is great. This is exactly the kind of thing they should be doing. which. Isn't always what we get, right? But I think this is the way to do it. It's better for everybody. Um, and I'm just super excited about the fact that Forensic is coming back as part of Apple Arcade. Uh, Frenzyk by the Icon Factory. Yeah. I've forgotten the Icon Factory made this game. The original <laughs> Frenzyk was one of my favorite iOS games ever made. And I am so excited. For the new version. It's called Forensic Overtime. I don't yeah. know when it's coming, but it's coming soon.
1: I saw it's that you very say soon. that you played it and I'm so I, jealous of you. I've been playing it since Thanksgiving, basically. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <Look at> <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's good. If you like a an intense... I was talking to Lauren about this because she doesn't. She likes puzzle games. I was like, "Uh, this is a puzzle game, but there's a time element." And she's like, "Nope, forget it. No, <laughs> like I don't want the pressure of it." But for some people, that's who are super into that, like you, I think. Um, yeah, you're matching sh- colors and shapes and uh, orientations of the shapes because you're kind of filling up. It's almost like a Trivial Pursuit uh, piece. It's got a little pie piece with wedges. Um, and then there's a whole, a whole bunch of other there's power ups and there's there's a couple different puzzle types and the art is good and the the sound effects are great and like it's it's a lot of fun and they're they're doing that uh, when I started beta testing it was just we are working on a new game from the Icon Factory and then at some point a few betas in the Apple Arcade screen appeared and I was like <laughs> oh I see <laughs>
0: what's happening here I could imagine that this is a result of one of the like when they said hey pitch us. I can imagine the outcome Factory, I mean, you don't have to say, but I can imagine them being like, we have a game, we would like you to pay us to make it, you know, like we made, it was successful in its time, because this isn't one of those, like it hasn't bring the old game brought back, it is a new interpretation of an older game, so yes. I'm excited about it. This episode is brought to you by Pingdom from SolarWinds. If you have a website, what purpose does it serve? Whether it's driving sales of your products, collecting sales leads for your business, or providing customer service of a contact form. When these critical transactions fail, you lose out on business, not to mention the bad experience for your users. But there's a solution, transaction monitoring from Pingdom. Starting at just $10 a month, transaction monitoring runs checks 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and will alert you when cart checkout, forms, or login pages fail before they affect your customers and your business. Pingdom will notify you the moment there is a failure over SMS, email, or via your favorite apps like Slack, Opsgenie, and PagerDuty. Depending on what's being monitored or the severity of the outage, you can customize who's alerted and how they get the notification. Don't let your users discover a problem on your website before you do. You should be the first to know and it's super easy to get started just go to pingdom.com slash relay fm right now for a 30-day free trial with no credit card required then when you're ready to buy use the code upgrade at checkout to get a huge 30% off your first invoice our thanks to pingdom from solar winds for their support of this show and relay fm so this morning as we are recording uh Tim Cook appeared on Kara Swisher's podcast Sway, which is a New York it's a New York Times thing, but it's it's Kara Swisher's podcast. And it's like a 30 something minute interview. I think maybe you'll agree with me here. I think the whole reason that this interview was set up was to talk about app tracking transparency in iOS 14.5 and to kind of get the marketing machine rolling on that. But they also touched on some other areas as well. But it definitely felt like the part of the interview that was the most polished on Tim's part was was talking about that kind of stuff. And so this is, in case you need a brief refresher, because this news has been going on for months and we haven't really spoken about it very much, But this is about the idea of from iOS 14.5 and on, if an application wants to track you using uh, advertising identifiers, they have to notify you. And so they put up a little uh, system notification that says, hey, this app wants to track you across the web and you can ask it not to track um, or you can say, yeah, go ahead and track me. That's basically the the notification that's popping up. And, you know, this has started a bit of a war of words between especially Facebook and Apple. There are lots of companies that will be affected by this in some way. You know, like Google, I'm sure, will also be affected by this. Anybody that runs an ad network will be affected by this. But Apple and Facebook have been the ones going at it the most. And so that's kind of a lot about what this conversation is focused on. Uh, Tim Cook does say that iOS 14.5 is a few weeks away. This, this definitely made me think that there is going to be an event. Like th- yep. this, gets, continues to be the: will it be an event? Will it be press releases? Event press releases? I think a few weeks away s- suggests event to me. What do you think?
1: I don't know about that. It, it, there's something coming. Whether how they do it is up to them. Mm-hmm. There are lots of different ways to slice an event, <laughs> but a product announcement of some kind, seems like is inevitable. Oh,
0: we, A product announcements, definitely. But I, I, I mean, I'm just holding by. I still think they're going to have it, some kind of event. All right. Uh, a quote. All we want to do is supply a tool so that the person that should make the decision can make it. That's Apple's whole, like, boiling it down. They think that users should be able to decide what happens to their data and that larger companies shouldn't be able
1: to make that decision for them, which is hard to argue with, they think they have a winning argument here, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I was impressed because Kara uh, does say, like, well, you know, their argument is it's going to hurt small businesses and all that. And and what Tim says is actually uh, really good and smart. And yes, like you said, he's he's well versed and honed on his message here. But what he says there is, they they do this a lot. People who want more information will claim oh, without this, we can't do X. We can't do this. You're going to decimate the small businesses. There's no other way for they for them to do this. And it's never true, right? Like these things keep happening. There are always arguments. And, and I would say, he didn't say this, but I will say it. This goes across so many different industries where there is an extinction level event that's going to occur if this thing happens. And then the thing happens and guess what? Things stay the same or they get better. And so his argument here is, when Facebook holds small businesses hostage and says, they will die if you do this, they're not telling the truth. They're saying it because it's self-serving and that small businesses can find all sorts of ways to reach people using the miraculous world of social media and, and you know, internet media in general without requiring this level of tracking. And again, as he pointed out, tracking that is allowed if the user approves. But, you know, we could also argue, just even if they don't approve, will small businesses still be able to find uh, targeted uh, audiences for their products? Yeah, they will. They will. So I I, I liked, I appreciated his very quick response that um, these arguments are disingenuous, and never, they always make these arguments, and they never pan out.
0: I think there are some shades of gray but it's not worth getting into for today's conversation. Um, Cook says that he believes that individuals should have control over who has their data, which is definitely the case. And he also says, which is something I wholeheartedly agree with you. If you were starting from scratch today, this is how it would be designed, right? Like if we were starting from scratch, if these things hadn't creeped over time, everybody would have more control of their data and who has it, what it's used for. Because we would be starting with this in mind. But we've had this slow creep over the years of what is expected by companies for what they are allowed to have of us. And it's gone too far, definitely.
1: And it well, has to be fa- brought back. Facebook was built with the door wide open. Mm-hmm. And if you remember when Facebook started adding uh, security and privacy features, and I, I remember this very distinctly, um, the first time they did it, that it was kind of painful to even get to the preferences. Mm-hmm. And then there were lots of them, and they didn't make a lot of sense. Um, but this is the example of Facebook built a wide-open thing, and everything that it's been added has been added sort of kicking and screaming. And you're right, the and Tim's right, too. The uh, A product like this today would be built with a privacy policy and with defaults and would not be wide open and would be built also around a model that considers what level of data they're going to be able to get and what they can ask for consent to to get and uh but this is not the world we live in we live in a world where Facebook is huge and um has a lot of data and and I, I, it's a complicated issue i i appreciate that he that tim cook has um, got it down. Like, this is what they say. This is what they're going to say in Congress and what they're going to say in court and what they're going to say in interviews. And like, this is, they've, they've thrown this around and they clearly think they've got a very strong hand here that Facebook is trying to scare people and Apple gets sort of calmly just sits there and says, well, this isn't true. You should have the right to do this and you should have, you know, privacy as a human right. And they obviously think that that is, um, A message with resonance.
0: There was a thing about the privacy policy that annoyed me. Like He was talking about the um, privacy nutrition labels thing and was talking about how privacy policies have become unreadable and that's why they're doing it. And I was just reminded of every time I set up an Apple product, the absolutely behemoth privacy policies that i have to agree to mm-hmm. and that kind of annoyed me because i mean i would love to see them give me a privacy uh like privacy nutrition label version of the privacy policy before i agree to it but it just kind of felt a bit rich to, to like to, to to make that claim of like oh privacy policy is not even written in plain english like, but yours isn't either I find that stuff annoying. Yeah,
1: are you thinking of privacy policies or are you thinking of software licenses? Because software licenses, a lot of of the stuff you agree to is the licenses, which is not the same as privacy policies.
0: But the point is the same,
1: though, right? I mean,
0: what? Like, I don't know what I'm agreeing to in that document.
1: Who reads them? Maybe that should be Facebook's counters. Well, what about? (laughs) Let's do let's do clear labels on software license agreements. I I I agree. Those are full of lawyer speak and they uh, if you look closely a lot of stuff gets copied and pasted from other lawyers and other agreements but um that they, yeah okay all right i think i think it's a different argument but uh sure the line that keeps getting
0: quoted a lot today is you know he, he says i am not focused on facebook <laughs> which I, you know it's it's a pretty badass line honestly because like it's just like, oh, yeah, Facebook's doing all, saying all this stuff about you. It's like I'm not focused on them. And Tim also said that he's shocked there's been so much of a pushback, which I don't believe. Right? <laughs> they must have known that companies would be upset at them for doing yeah. this. Right? Come on. Yep. So as well as the app tracking transparency thing, they did touch on a bunch of different areas. So they spoke about Apple's decision to remove Parler from the App Store. And Cook says he hopes that Parler will be able to do what's necessary to come back to the App Store in the future, and said more social networks mm. is better.
1: Yeah, you know, I don't think he actually believes that uh, he, it is Apple policy that developers who are kicked out of the App Store for violating uh, the the guidelines are, are welcome back once that they once they fulfill the guidelines again. Mm-hmm. But as um. Harris Wisher had a follow up about um Parler not wanting to do or not and have any control over what's said and all of that. Um it was one of those moments of like, well, yeah, but they're not gonna do that. (laughs) It's like, but so it's nice, it's nice for you. It's rich for you to say, Oh yeah, we'd like to have them back if they'll moderate their content, um, knowing that they won't. Uh they touched on the legal fight with Epic, so they're gonna
0: be in court next month. I believe it's an in person trial. Uh, with some Apple executives, some Epic executives. Personally, I'm looking forward to this. Um, Mm. Cook uh, basically was painting the picture that most developers do not pay 30% to Apple. He was talking about free apps, subscription apps, and the 15% cut for small businesses, and says that uh, over time, Apple's cut is just going down, and the rules are applied equally. This still stings with me. I still don't like this part
1: well, and this is why Apple has made some of the changes it's made mm-hmm. is so that he can say this
0: right <laughs> yeah, you're right, actually. That's, not, That's right,
1: not right. right like we they they made those changes, and we're like, oh, they're making these changes because they're anticipating scrutiny and trials and and uh regulation, and you know then it it enables Tim Cook to go out in an interview and say, well, look, we're you know we all, the price just keeps coming down." We're we're you know we 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 don't do this. In fact, I was thinking, um, listening to your summary of it, um, more than when I heard the actual podcast. I was thinking, what could Apple do to make Epic even more angry than they already are? And I thought, I wonder if at some point Apple will say first purchase of apps is fifteen percent, and the only thing we're going to do th- at thirty percent is consumables, is digital consumables. <laughs> I mean, they could do that. (laughs) Just to be like, we're going to just focus it. So no, our rules are applied equally. The only rules are about what uh, this business, this one particular business model does.
0: Because it's like,
1: Kara brings up um,
0: Amazon Prime Video, right? And about them always getting 15%. It's like, oh yeah, all of our video apps are 15%. And she's like, oh, like Netflix? Yeah, I love that. It's like, yeah, the rules are applied equally, but the rules aren't a natural being. You make them, right? And you just arbitrarily decided that video streaming services would be 15% always. You you decided that. So you could make any decision.
1: Yeah, the Amazon one was it's like, oh, no, there's no special case for Amazon. That's just a policy we made about video streaming services that applies (laughs) largely just to Amazon. But other video streaming services could do it too. These rules are equally
0: applied to Amazon. (laughs) It's, It's like, okay. The App Store is an economic miracle. Mm -hmm. That was quite a quote. Well, they
1: have been beating that drum for a long time, Mm -hmm. right? Like there's always the, there's the novelty check to developers on stage Mm -hmm. at the developer conference. There's the press releases about this app, million sale. And there's the press releases about economic impact and the number of people who are part of the app app economy. And like this is, I'm not saying it's not true, but this is a narrative that Apple has been pushing for a long time. And again, one of the reasons it's doing that so that Tim Cook can say this. and. I am
0: not doubting the massive change that they made, right? Like, the, the App Store brought. Like, I think it could be argued quite handily without the App Store, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing, right? Like, it's not even just developers. It's like the cultural change that apps and the App Store brought upon the world and all the different types of careers that it enabled. But sure. just that, just that phrase, I, like, bumped on it a little bit. I was like, oh, that's... That's quite pompous, (laughs) like Mm. an economic miracle. Okay, we got Mm -hmm. some interesting details, though, as well. So every week, 100,000 apps go to app review and 40,000 of them are rejected. And one of the main reasons for this is that they either don't work or they don't work like they say they would. 40% of applications
1: are rejected.
0: Would you have expected it to be that high?
1: I can't even judge these because we don't know what the details are. Are sure. these are these different apps or are these submissions? Are there 100,000 mm. app submissions and 40,000 of those are rejected? I know plenty of app developers, they get things rejected all the time, sometimes for no good reason. <laughs> and then they resubmit and then it gets approved, sometimes for really dumb reasons. Um Yeah, it'd be good to know how many of those 40% are reversed.
0: And <laughs> what is the, the the like the secondary uh, part of that, you know? What, are these rejections actually permanent rejections or are they just like, oh, I have to change some of the metadata in the description?
1: I just don't, I literally don't know what they're measuring here. So I don't think I have much of an opinion about it because I don't know what they're even claiming here. Other than, other than to claim that you, what they're really saying here, the story is, well, I, I, I know you hear stories about bad things in the app store, but suffice it to say that we are exerting a lot of gatekeeping in order to curate the app store and make it safe for our users and just look uh 40 of the whatever this is are rejected so look at the power of our creation i i'd say that kind of sidesteps the argument that they allow stuff into the app store that they shouldn't um and it's unclear what they're even claiming here but i think that's the the case he's trying to make is just to remind people that this is why Apple does what it does, is it's protecting you from these apps that are bad or don't work or are lying to you.
0: I recommend that people do listen to this interview if they haven't. And one of the reasons I would recommend this is for the little segment where they talk about future products. Because I mean I don't know about you, but I felt like Tim wasn't totally solid here and stumbled in a couple of ways that, if you looked into them enough, uh, was kind of interesting. Like just the, the so I, basically they're talking about AR and he says that he's very excited about AR. Kara... I love her confidence, just starts talking about the mixed reality headset, like just talks yep. about it as if we all know it's happening. And then Tim starts talking about AR and saying, like, if we're in this conversation right now, uh, we could also see some charts and imagine oh, if man. your listeners could see them as well. And I'm kind of like, see them, Tim? Where? Huh?
1: Where am I well, seeing them? They're, do- they're doing a video chat, right? They're on um, uh, Webex. Because mm-hmm. our, our podcast interviews, we're seeing them in video and they're seeing us too, right? That's what they do. Um, but it is a weird thing knowing that it's an audio podcast. Using that as an example is a little bit strange. What I love about it is Tim Cook, the very serious businessman who runs Apple, <laughs> talking <laughs> in an interview, says, okay, like in a video chat, think it's like a FaceTime, right? They're like, yeah, Kara, you and me. I see you. You see me, we talk, it's great. But you know what would be greater is if I could wave my hand and put up a chart.
0: <laughs> really, Tim?
1: Customer a sat. A chart?
0: That's what he wants. It's and just it, a it chart. It would
1: be, let me show you the customer sat on the iPhone. Look at that. Look at that number now. And he waves it away. Now it's gone. Like, I, I just, I love this little example as a, I know it's probably not, but like as a peek into Tim Cook's mind, whereas like, Reality would be so much better if we could call up charts and have them float in the air around us while we're talking to other people. <laughs> I think, I want to believe he thinks that. I want to believe oh, that, that that is a, that is what the world needs to be is, you know, bring your data with you. In fact, float it like a hologram. That's what I want to see.
0: It, it just felt to me that the discussion around this part was really, I don't know, like it just felt like it was really kind of, to me anyway, leaning a little towards this idea of like, we're, we're working on something where you'll be able to see something, right? Like it's, this, is, this is where we're going now. It didn't feel so much the usual like, hey, we don't talk about products in our future and who knows what the future right. may hold. It seems a little bit more now like they are lifting the
1: lid on this. Yeah, I mean he's talked haven't. about it before, but this it, it, the thing it reminds me of and and you know, everybody remember before the Apple Watch came out, Tim talking about how the wrist wearables is a big thing and the wrist is an area of particular interest. Like, yeah. This is what Apple does when they are when when there's talk in the market about what their product strategy is, but they haven't got anything to announce yet. They start to acknowledge their interest. In a category because it doesn't give anything away about what the product is, but it does sort of acknowledge the fact that this reporting is going on and essentially that it's accurate, at least in the broadest sense, which is, you know, the, and he, this isn't new. He's been saying for a while now. Uh, of course, AR is an interest, and um, he was even—I I would say—clearer about it here, where it's very obviously they're—they've got a product, and he's not ready, ready to talk about it, but he's ready to talk about all the reasons why AR is great. And then also the car,
0: or like a car project. <laughs> so, references—he has respect for Tesla as a company. And then says, Cara's questioning him about cars, autonomy, and Tim says, we investigate many things internally. Many don't see the light of day.
1: We'll see what Apple does. Yeah. Like, I like this because the context he's putting on the car project is, of course, we're looking at a car. Everybody knows we're looking at cars. But we don't always make products where lo- we're looking at something in that area doesn't always turn into a product. And that's how he's setting the expectations about the car, is he's not saying they haven't looked at and aren't looking at cars. And she says, you bought a, a an AI driving startup. Like, come on. And I appreciate that he doesn't really deny it. He's like, we look at lots of stuff. It doesn't mean it's going to be a product. And I honestly, the impression I get is that's sort of where this product is, that the AR product is coming. The car, they're working on it. But it's not at a point where like they're certain that they're going to do it, and I think that is Apple's they're process. Not even ready to be secretive about it yet.
0: It's <laughs> <They're> so early. They're <laughs> they're willing to say, oh, right. I don't know, maybe.
1: And and what's the I think Apple's famous secrecy, right, is about product detail and product secrecy. I think I think this is an acknowledgement, just as that Apple Watch statement about the wrist being an area of interest was an acknowledgement that. Apple is happy to talk about areas that they're enthusiastic about for the future that might be areas Apple's Apple's interested in. Like, it's willing to go that far, mm. which is not something that was necessarily true before. I don't think, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think Steve Jobs said to Walt Mossberg and Kara Swisher on stage at the D conference back in the day, oh yeah, a bigger iPhone would be interesting, wouldn't it? Um, you know, yes, tablet computing, very interesting. Um. I don't, think, I don't think he went even that far, right? Um, but uh, Tim Cook's willing to go to that point, but no further. And I think this car statement is very much in line with what we think we know about this, which is they're working on something, but it's not really close. And they're probably not even sure if it's a real thing
0: yet. He also said that he won't be CEO in 10 years time, which is when you hear him say it, it's like, whoa, hang on. But then think, 10 years is a long time, right? Yeah. This year is Tim's 10th year of being CEO. In August of this year, it would have been 10 years. And so it's kind of like surprising and not surprising at the same time. Yeah. Well, I looked it
1: up. He's 60. Mm -hmm. And you're 60. You've been CEO of Apple, the world's largest in some measures company for a decade. And I think what he said was, the end isn't in sight. I, I I don't have any immediate plans of any kind, but 10 years is a long time. And I'm thinking, and you're 70 in 10 years. And although 65 isn't the retirement age that it used to be, um, at the same time, he has obviously made a lot of money <laughs> in a very high-stress job. I do wonder about his personality, if he's really going to be able to retire or if it's more like just take a step back, do some corporate boards, do some philanthropy, um and and stop grinding quite as much, but he seems like a you grinder, he probably be a grinder forever. He would probably be on the board at Apple for as long as he's alive. Wouldn't would not surprise me, right? right. Uh, well, look at Bob Iger, right? Yeah. That kind of thing where where there's a there's a take a step CEO, long-time CEO takes a step back, but is still around at least for a while. Um that wouldn't surprise me, but at the same time, yeah. I mean, does he want to be Twenty years CEO of Apple and still working at Apple when he's seventy, my guess is uh is no, and it seems very clear that like that's he he doesn't know when he's going to leave, and it's not soon, but he can't see him being there in ten years and that's yeah, you're right i I think I share what surprised me is that he didn't hedge about it. Not at all. That was that was yeah. the surprise. The surprising yeah. is not what he said, which is uh, ten years. Essentially, when when I'm seventy, nah, I, I'm I'll be retired by then. What he? I'm surprised he said it instead of just saying, well, you know, you never know. I I'm committed here. I think I'll be here for many more years. I don't I love know how my many. Job. Who knows? Right. But instead, yeah. he was sort of like, yeah, I can't see it in ten years. That's probably too much.
0: And he That's did it. do the whole thing of like, you know, I. I I love it. I can't, and this is, again, I understand from him. It's like, I just, I love it so much here and I can't, I don't have anything else I want to do and I can't imagine what else I would do and, you know, it's in the same way that like, I could imagine someone like him still being CEO in 10 years time because if you're an ambitious person, I mean, he's reached the top, right? Sure. There, there really isn't much further for him to go.
1: No, there's nowhere to go from there. You know, except politics, right? He's like the yeah, only place I, I, I can say, imagine. unless he wants to be the Secretary of Commerce or something, yeah. but yeah, yeah. Actually, what I what I envision is he says, "Carrot," but imagine if we were in augmented reality, I could bring up a chart about the average <laughs> retirement age and how it's changed over time. But I can't. But I can't. We're not. What a shame. Mm. But you know, I I I was like,
0: uh, I'm intrigued. I mean, you know, Apple obviously has this history, which is odd, right? That their CEO ship as a company. It's just been a very strange path to this point. What, they just turned 45, Apple as a company, I think. Yeah, sounds about right. Which Mm -hmm. means that Tim is fast approaching, like a quarter or whatever. No, it's not fast approaching, but kind of in in or around. And, you know, you look at what Steve did, and he stepped down as CEO. I mean, he was in ill health, but there is at least that idea of he tim could one day just stop being ceo and just be involved in the things he wants to be involved in which i imagine him doing uh i think maybe sooner rather than later who knows we'll see because how long do you want to do one job you know
1: right with the same set of responsibilities 10 years is a really long time and i'd imagine if you if you add in the time when he was when he was uh Um, coo Mm -hmm. and operations guy like he's been grinding the truth is he is a grinder it's always going to be a part of him but he's been grinding for a very long time and you know does he deserve the ability to step off the treadmill at some point not literally he'll always be on the treadmill because he's so but like the the work treadmill Mm -hmm. a little bit you know go to more college football games uh, make some charts and show them to people who want it in augmented reality. He like just the he just becomes head of
0: customer satisfaction. And that's like his <laughs> exactly. dream job, but no one would let him do it before.
1: Mm-hmm. Right? Like who's who's to that, that makes sense, right? I, I think I think you want uh, a little reward after you've reached the top. So so yeah, I think it's not reasonable or not unreasonable at all. I, I'm just surprised that he said it out loud. Mm-hmm. But uh, because it will begin a, a larger conversation about succession planning at Apple and all that. But I do appreciate that he said, you know, nobody get excited; it's not going to happen soon. I, I just, you know, ten years is a very long time, and I don't see myself doing this job in ten years. Yeah, if you imagine
0: people like the aforementioned uh, John Tannis listening to that interview and being like, "Oh, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I'll, I'll take it." Because he was one of those people referencing that Bloomberg article, right. right? It's like, this guy could be the CEO one day.
1: Today, the executive webpage, tomorrow, the world.
0: <laughs> uh, this is a short interview, really, considering the amount of stuff covered. It's like 30-something minutes. I will say it's one of my favorite Tim Cook interviews because mm-hmm. it, it was much more conversational. And plus, Kara Swisher knows what she's talking about, where Tim is usually in environments where it's more mainstream media, and she presses
1: him in
0: just the right way to get some of the answers yeah. that she wants. So
1: I really liked it. I really she's recommend you check it out. Mm-hmm. And they have, a, they have a rapport. They've talked a bunch. Yes. At different times and different things. Reference different having venues. lunch one day, right? That, yeah. that was like a, a cute little yeah. thing. So that's a good, they have, they have a rapport. Yeah. Um, and she's a really good interviewer. And I would say, I think Tim Cook has gotten so good mm-hmm. at this stuff uh, that he wasn't 10 years ago. So, yeah.
0: This week's episode is brought to you by PDF Pen from our friends at Smile. Does your PDF editor allow you to secure documents? Do OCR scanning so even images become readable and searchable? Does it let you fill out and sign forms? Does it allow you to do all of that whilst also on the go and at great price? PDF Pen does all all of this. PDF Pen is the all-purpose PDF editor that allows you to improve your workflow and productivity, add signatures, text and images, make changes, correct typos and so much more. If you work at all with PDFs, you need PDF Pen. You can also keep everything in sync because PDF Pen and PDF Pen Pro on the Mac also work with PDF Pen for iPad and iPhone for seamless editing across devices of cloud services such as iCloud, Dropbox, Google Drive, OneDrive and more. This is something I do all the time. No matter what device I'm using, I can sign contracts. I sign contracts on my iPhone sometimes using PDF Pen Pro, just using my finger, super easy. I can zoom in and out. I love it. I have been a big fan of this product for years. I deal with PDFs a lot, lots of contracts and stuff like that that we need to deal with. And I would be lost without PDF. Payment. One of the things that I really enjoy is if you add in some text and you're dragging it around, it creates these automatic guidelines to match up with other signatures on a page or lines on a page. Like it's because it's using the OCR to work out where to line things up, which is just really easy. So you can just add text in and it will help you line it up. It's really, really cool. You can learn more about PDF Pen and PDF Pen Pro at pdfpen.com slash podcast. That's pdfpen.com slash podcast. A thanks to PDF Pen from Smile for their support of this show and Relay FM. Let's do some hashtag ask upgrade questions to finish out this week's episode. And the first comes from Chadwick. Chadwick says, on last week's episode, Jason referred uh, to inserting a, quote, bunch of TKs when writing <laughs> to remind him that he needed to check something before publishing. What
1: does this mean? Um, that was a little Easter egg for people out there. And I, I, I phrased it in a way that you didn't need to ask, but I, I guess people asked. in journalism it is common for a whole bunch of, there are a whole bunch of things that are are used by journalists to mark stuff as not being for public viewing. And they're all, I believe the uh, tradition is they're all misspelled. They're all things that don't come up in actual language very often, in English anyway. And the idea there is if you write so, like my uh, the year after I left, it wasn't on my watch. My college newspaper had uh, they were laying out their sports page, and they had a bunch of fake headlines, and the headlines read like real headlines. Like I, I believe the one that was uh, that that was particularly bad was uh, track pulls up lame. Um, but they are all joke headlines because the the stories weren't in yet. And what happened is the stories came in and uh, I think they even updated the headlines, but there were two versions of the page. There was the page that had the bad headlines on it and the page that had the real content on it uh, that wasn't fake and just placeholder stuff. And the person pasting up the page couldn't tell the difference and thought that the fake one was real. This is why you don't do that. This is why you have your headlines have TK in them or question marks or other things that are misspelled. And so a tradition in journalism is you put these markers in that everybody knows means they're not real and don't send that to the internet. Don't put that in the paper. Don't do it. TK stands for, I believe, to come, except with a K. (laughs) Why? Because TK is not a letter combination that is common. And it became a standard thing uh, to refer to uh, missing information in stories. So you might be writing a story and you need a comment from somebody. And when you're writing on your story, it says, you know, company comment TK or name of person TK. Or when, sometimes I have this happen where I'm writing on my iPad and there's a thing I need to look up on the mac i need to very specifically say like use this menu to go to this thing to go to this thing and i I, i'm not on a mac right then and i'll just i don't want to break my writing flow and i'll just put in like menu mac menu tk um Other things that journalists do, headlines are often referred to as heads, H-E-D. The secondary headline is a deck, D-E-K. And the lead, the first paragraph, is L-E-D-E. Paragraphs, by the way, are graphs, G-R-A-F. These are all journalism terms, but they're also misspelled intentionally so that when you see them, you know, don't print that. (laughs) so that uh, so the tk's thing is like literally uh it's it's uh this isn't done yet this isn't ready fill this in later and it also has become to mean i think for a lot of journalists over time uh it's funny because one it's your own personal struggles of oh boy i have i haven't finished this thing yet i still got all these tk's in there and also if you've ever worked with somebody who's a uh, a procrastinator or is very late with their work or misses deadlines um, it can become a kind of rueful joke about that we had a uh, a person who blew all their deadlines in journalism school, and we had a a going away thing for our professor who was who was leaving the journalism school at the end of the semester. And uh, one of the jokes in the in the thing that we made for him was that there was a whole little box that was by one of our uh, fellow students who was always late with their work, and the box had a big headline and a picture, and then. A large space for a story and it just said story TK <laughs> and we all had a good laugh and I remember it all this time later because it was pretty funny anyway that's the story of the TKs it just means it's a placeholder and um, before I worked in my college newspaper I would do it with question marks I just have a bunch of question marks because again very clearly not a thing but TK is what is just generally used culturally I also use brackets a lot I would put like three or four mm. brackets around a note to myself as a way of like there's you know i'm not gonna miss i've seen this that there's the minute you've seen this because you've read my drafts yeah. yeah i'll often like do multi-brackets and notes to myself and that's because that part is um it, it will jump out at me there's there's no markdown for four brackets <laughs> it's just a, like hey uh, this part's not done the more you need to remember the more brackets there are yeah, exactly. brackets. Eight brackets, 20 uh, brackets. Oh boy, that's TK a bad one.
0: is particularly useful because it's easy to search too, right? Like if you're searching Yeah, a well, that's,
1: that's it. It's, it's an uncommon letter combination, and that's part of the reason that that exists. Mikhail
0: asks, last week you were answering the question of which iPad Pro somebody should buy, but you didn't consider the iPad Air. Was there any reason for that? Uh, it was an oversight. I mean, I was just thinking about comparing the iPad Pros, which because that's usually the way that you would compare the iPads. But of course, the iPad Air does fit more in the iPad Pro bracket at the moment. You know, we spoke about this when it came out. I want to give just a quick overview again for like why you may or may not want to consider the iPad Air instead of an iPad Pro. So looks very similar, right? Has very comparable specs. It has in some ways a more modern processor. Uh, The design is great. It has Magic Keyboard. Uh, capability, compatibility, I should say, and works with the, all the things you would want. Has the cool Apple Pencil 2 charging on the top. Uh, it lacks ProMotion, which is the high refresh rate display. Has two speakers instead of four. Touch ID instead of Face ID. That could be a pro or a con. I would say having used the iPad specifically, the iPad is best for Face ID. Face ID works better on the iPad than on the iPhone for me. Um The iPad Air starts at $599 instead of $799 like the iPad Pro. But that $599 is for 64 gigabytes of storage, which I think is unacceptable on an iPad. Um, It maxes out at 256 gigabytes of storage, which is then $150 cheaper than the 11-inch iPad Pro rather than $200. So it's a good deal, not a home run. Uh, but yeah, they asked about comparing the iPad Pros, which is why we compared the iPad Pros. Yeah, the iPad that's Air. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. I have a
1: much shorter answer, which is, but they didn't ask about the I iPad know, Air.
0: I know. But I, 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 said <laughs> no, the right. question, I do wish I would have at least brought up the iPad Air yep. as another consideration. Um, For me, the iPad Pro is still a better device and I think worth the $150 premium because the $200 difference, like, I don't think people should be buying a 64 gigabyte iPad. I, I just do not. I think, like, you want to put video on this thing eventually when you're going somewhere and you're just going to run out of space so fast. Um, So I, I think that you would want to look at the 256 and then you've got $150 difference. And I think, for me, the speakers, the ProMotion display and the face ID warrant the premium. But it's up to you. Rajiv asks... Do you think that Apple should revert the iOS 14 method used to input and adjust time and go back to the scroll wheels?
1: Wow, I don't think I have much of an opinion about this. They, I think it's a little clunky. Um, I think they did it for um, compatibility reasons on the Mac, but on a touch device, the I thought the wheels were actually pretty good. And I have run into that thing where suddenly, instead of picking from a calendar picker, I'm typing dates into a date field that's no good so I, I don't I don't know all the details here it I, it doesn't come up with me a lot I haven't formed a really deep opinion about it but whatever they did isn't it isn't better <laughs> it's just different and I think they did it primarily um, because they wanted some compatibility across devices but uh, it's it's a lesser interface if you're on a touch device I guess I would say I my preference is the current version. <laughs> I
0: okay. I I much prefer it. I like being a, I like being able to type the time in. Um and I like getting the full date picker so I can swipe through months and hit the date that I want and also see dates what day they are in the week in a calendar view rather than the uh tumble rolling things. You can Again, I know you know this, but I will just say before we, to, to, to alleviate the follow-up, it is kind of possible to scroll the f- current version, but yeah. it's difficult. It's nowhere near as, as comfortable to do. I do do it sometimes, um, but I will typically type
1: the time so in. Here, here's my answer for Rajiv. Do I think Apple should revert? No, I don't. I think they should make it better, but I don't yes. think they should revert it and go back to the old way.
0: No, I think ref- refinements of the current version will be better than going back to the old version because I think, honestly, like I'd never really thought about it, but as soon as those spin and tumbling things were gone, I was super happy because they're so clunky and old and they should think of new ways to do things. Whether this current way is the right way or not is up for debate, but that is like one of the oldest paradigms of
1: iOS design that's still stuck around. We just um blew the minds of people in the Discord, which is I think one of my criticisms of the design is that although you can spin those numbers, it's so easy to tap in them and then you're doing text entry, which I think is not the best, although people can differ about that. Um so one of the things I would say is can we make that more discoverable? <laughs> yeah, it's not not very discoverable at all. And Stitch
0: asked, what is a feature that Apple could put on the new iPad Pro that will blow you
1: away? thunderbolt ports on the side instead of the bottom um or bottom instead of the side depends on your orientation i guess mm-hmm. but like more horizontalness <laughs> is that a thing um blow me away i don't know you've got something in the dock that i that, have to uh, i mean look if we're looking for blow me away right This blow me away which is yeah what if they? what if they did like cl- cl- like classic in the mac os 10 where you could sort of like run a mac in a You know, just to have a Mac view that's like Mac OS.
0: Right, so blow me away is Mac OS support, right? That's that's part one. (laughs) Uh, Blow me away part two is a full external display
1: mode that uses windowing for iPadOS apps. Oh, windowing. Yeah, so I think that's my number one wish feature is proper external display mode. However, it is formed. Mm -hmm. That's the one. I'm not sure that's really enabled by hardware, really. But, but it might be a new feature of the
0: of an iPad Pro, though. You yeah, know what I mean? And that's that's fine with me. Yeah. Which I I think that if they do a full external display thing, they will do it. It's like, hey, this is part of the new iPad Pro. And the windowing thing was something that I thought up today of, like, I was thinking about the external display mode and was thinking if I... I, I would kind of want to be able to take more advantage of a much larger screen. And I I don't think just making... Single view iPad apps, full screen is what I want because I don't like full screen mode on the Mac. Whilst I also have mentioned before, I find Windows to be a bit messy, it is better than on a large screen
1: than just using one app at a time. For in in my own personal, yeah, we argued about this a long time ago on a previous episode where you basically said windowing feels old and they should come up with something different. Yes, I. I'm not entirely convinced that the reason we haven't gotten proper external display mode on iPadOS is not that they have been struggling with finding the right way to handle iPadOS apps displaying on a very large monitor, Mm -hmm. right? Like, how do you do that in a way that makes sense? And it probably requires, if not pure windowing, some sort of snapped or tiled You know, if you can imagine fitting two or three different iPad apps on that external display, do they appear as little windows that are literally just the screen size of an iPad? Um, And do they kind of like magnetically snap together and things? It's a hard problem. And uh, getting an external out on an iPad is actually, not only can you do it now, but I'm sure they could do it without mirroring now. I'm sure they could. But Mm -hmm. what goes on that screen? And right now it would be one or two apps at full screen. And it's no good. <laughs> like, that's no good. That's Fair not good enough. enough. And and so I think that's where the hurdle is, is the UI in the software for how you manage apps running on a big external screen. But that would be my number one too. Although running, r- running Mac OS on an iPad is hilarious. And yes, that would be awesome.
0: Sure. If you would like to send in a question for us to answer... On the episode, just send out a tweet with the hashtag ask upgrade or use question mark ask upgrade in the RelayFM members discord, which you get access to if you sign up for Upgrade Plus, where you will also get longer ad free versions of every episode. Just go to getupgradeplus.com to find out more and sign up. And thank you so much if you do. Uh, I would also like to thank our sponsors for this week's episode. That is the fine folk over at Pen from Smile, Pingdom and Memberful. Uh, Jason, before we go,
1: would you like to tell our listeners about another Relay FM show? Yeah, you should check out Top Four. Uh, this is hosted by the Arments, Tiff and Marco. Um, you may know Marco from being Tiff's husband. Um, and they make Top Four lists of just about anything. I've been on a few times. Uh, we did a member special where we listed our top four salad items. Items that go in a salad. We did a classic one where uh, Lauren and I joined Tiff and Marco, and we tasted at the time every flavor but one of uh, LaCroix uh, seltzers. <laughs> oh boy, there was a lot of burping after that. Um, it's a really funny, fun thing, uh, listening to husband and wife, trying out all sorts of strange things, and then, and then ranking them in a top four list that is often not a four long. That's part of the joy of it. So indulge in the sheer randomness of top four. Uh, check it out relay.fm slash top four. It's fun. It's fun. And don't you need more fun in your life? Or just search for top four wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to find Jason online, you can go to sixcolors.com
0: and theincomparable.com. And Jason hosts many shows here on Relay FM, as do I. Jason is at Jasonell online. I am at iMike, I M Y K E. And we'll be back next time. Until then, say goodbye, Jason Snell.
1: This is me saying goodbye with a chart that also says goodbye in augmented reality.
0: Mm-hmm.